Well, very special chat this morning with Adam Everill. Super grateful to have that opportunity. Uh, he's getting out there and making change in one of the places that most people would be quite fearful to go to. Uh, Papua New Guinea has a very war-torn and challenged history and present. And Adam is getting out there on the ground and making a difference. Today, we spoke about the cultural change that he is supporting, what's happening uh, on the ground there right now in PNG, and how this relates to global culture and his own journey as an individual and what message he's embodying, what he's learned along the way, working there for the last 10 years, and how, as a community, we could potentially have a big impact on the future of a country and set a precedent for new culture, uh, new community, a new way of living. Uh, super exciting to, to explore this possibility and how it can all come together with Real Movement facilities, Real Movement members, and everything that we're trying to create collectively. Uh, Equal Playing Field is, is an amazing organization doing great things. And I think you're going to get a ton out of today's podcast. I'm pretty sure you're going to be super fired up to just take yourself to another level, but also, you know, commit to being a leader and who you're going to lead. I think that's probably the biggest outcome that will happen for some people listening in today. We spoke post-podcast about how we can get some meat production cooperatives off the ground over there, how we can help people who graduate through the education, through the philosophical development and through the movement process to facilitate them to make real economic change in their communities to ensure food security and health uh, for those people and to create a model that we can duplicate and, and share around the world. So one of the other key outcomes that we spoke about is educating people to go and do the work that, that Adam's doing. How can we help more people to go out there and be successful in this style of work? I know so many people would love to make more of a difference in the community, um, in the world, and to be leaders. How can we facilitate that and set up education specifically ready to go into those challenging environments and, and really make a difference and make a connection with people and change the world? So hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to hearing your feedback. Today with Adam Everill, who's working with Equal Playing Fields and Generation Found, uh, primarily working on PNG, but with potential to really have an impact on lots of different parts of the world. Super excited for the back today. Um, how did you end up working in PNG? Uh, right. Thanks for having me, Keys. Um, so PNG was just one of these weird serendipitous things. I I was studying Papua New Guinea at the time and I was invited to represent Australia at a, a youth leadership conference in in India. Uh, and there was all these awesome people doing great stuff around the world and I had no current project and I felt like a bit of a fucking loser, to be honest. Um, there was just young, absolute legends like, you know, working in medicine, working in you know, leadership, education, all sorts of different things. And, and um, I kind of looked at all of them and, and wanted to be like them. So uh, I happened to meet someone from Papua New Guinea there who had become my co-founder, Jackie Joseph. And I just said, oh, we should, we should do something. You know, I was 23, I think. You know, when you think you can sort of save the world with a, with a project um, here and there. Yeah, uh, and that was and that was kind of it. I'd never even been there, so uh, I said, "Let's do something." And then I did a little bit of research, and then raised four grand at, uh, in in Wollongong. 
my hometown with a concert, a little band called Sticky Fingers before they were big. And uh, yeah, put a backpack on and, and that's all she wrote. We went from a backpack to, yeah, a couple of offices and a ton of staff and working with, you know, over 10,000 people and yeah. So how long have you been working at it now? How old are you now? I am 33 in January. So that is, uh, I think it's coming up to nine, uh, it'll be nine years next year. So eight and a half years. So since my son was one, started it before he was one, I think. Yeah. So it, it, it does, I guess, probably take some time to get momentum. How, how were those first couple of years compared to where you are now? Um, they were really tough. So the first three or four, close to four years were all volunteering. And it was, um, so, you know, unfortunately my son and, and my daughter when she came along didn't have any holidays with me. I had every bit of holiday and, and would take extra leave and I would go over. So I'd have to work full time uh, and, and go over in my breaks a few times a year for a few weeks uh, and just do stuff, you know, just trying to make it happen. So it was very slow and, and almost sort of gave it up a few times and, and did one last stretch of about four months of unemployed uh, uh, unemployment trying to get over there, push it, sort of say, you know, going to go all in, see if we can make it happen. And, and, and after getting real close to, you know, all the savings gone, everything sort of done, at the big break happened and we got a big, um, we got a big contract through the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, which was, I think, still Aussie at the time. And, uh, and that, that was kind of it. That was the start of some, some momentum, but like all great things, you know, tons of challenges since then, but that was the big break we needed and everything else followed on. Yeah. So one of the values of real movement and, you know, a key part of my story has been getting out in the world and, and, you know, learning about other cultures, being immersed in a culture where you don't speak the language is powerful and and learning other languages is, is super powerful. It also makes you reflect a lot on how people live where you're from, right? Like, how's it changed your perspective on Australian life before we even touch on, you know, how people are living over there? Like, what does what does Australian life look like after ten years of, uh, visiting those, uh, you know, exotic places and places that have different values and histories? Yeah, there's there's a there's this misconception, you know, people used to think when I was going over there that I was going to paradise. Um, now some parts feel like paradise and look like paradise, but uh, I can tell you coming home is awesome uh, when you've been away for a while. Uh, the PNG is, is, is still an evolving, um, uh, still a developing country. You know, it's, um, it's extremely challenging. The, the urban centres, like places like Port Moresby, it's, it's settlements, you know, um, slums, a whole lot of slums uh, around the city where a lot of people live because it's somewhat affordable. And then uh, high cost living in the centre. Um, whereas most of the country is actually 70 to 80% is, is rural. So uh, remote and rural. So it's a real different um, uh First, like experience visually, but then just uh, culturally, it's something completely different. 
really beautiful that you see everywhere in uh, in the Pacific, but definitely in in PNG, is this sense of community and family. And this is this smashes together with with the real massive issues of, of violence over there. So violence against women and children is pretty much the highest of anywhere in the world um, in, in PNG. Um, but you will see the most beautiful um, care within families as well. So uh, it's this huge contradiction in that way. Um, you know, devoutly religious people also, uh, you know, can be extremely vengeful. Uh, it, it's a these opposing ideas kind of smash together really visibly. But coming home, like even my kids coming home to watch my kids say, oh, I don't want that food or, oh, this tastes this, oh, it just drives me crazy. I've, the longer I've gone, when I come back, I just, I tell them to go ride their bike by themselves or make their own food or you, you realise that we've become soft, like really, really soft. Uh, and that, you know, there are real hard, hard people over there. And we, our culture, we've come, we've come so far into comfort, you know, and, and, and we have this perception that we've got the right way. Uh, I mean, I'm not speaking we, I'm speaking, yeah. you know, we found the, we found the right way and it's, you know, spending all the time in the car and, and, and you know, Netflix and sitting at a desk and all this, all this shit. And unfortunately, Places like PNG kind of aspire to that, you know. Yeah. And and what I try to them is is you guys have got a lot of stuff we lost in our in our quest to get some other thing. So there's a magic in the in between. So I try and take the good stuff from over there uh, and the good stuff from here and and find a way to bring it together. How how has it changed you? Do you feel? you know, seeing that hard living and, and contrasting that against, you know, who you were growing up and the environment you grew up in, you know, how, how has it changed you? Um, I think it's changed me more lately. So I've been doing it for years. But when, when I started, when I started um, EPF, it, we used to be called Rugby League Against Violence, um, which Keegan told me very early on, that's a bad name. <laughs> and I said, you bastard, um, but he was right. Um, equal playing field is a way better name. Um, but in the beginning, I was, a, I, was a, I was a heavy, heavy man, carried most of it around my guts. I was vegetarian, um, vegan for a period, uh, terrible back pain, just, just really not in a good place mentally, like not in a, yeah, not in a great place, a lot of drinking, uh, yeah, not, not in a good place in my relationship. And and the work over there didn't really help it. It was sort of like my Band-Aid, I guess, a little bit. But only really in recent um, times, actually, when I've, when I've started to focus a lot more internally and, and take responsibility for myself a lot more, have I really reaped the benefits from, from those interactions even more? I got a lot from it the whole way along, but it was almost like... Um, I would see it as this, almost like as a burden, as something I had to do to purify myself or something, you know, like this is what I'm meant to do. I'm supposed to be over there helping people. Um, but I would take so much resentment from it, I think. Yeah. And, um, but now it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's harder than ever now. I do more time over there than I ever have. Um, 
and and more and more challenging things, but I it gives me more. Yeah. So it's changed me. Um, I, I think the change has largely been the, the the looking inwards, and that's allowed me to then take the lessons in. You know, for me, I, I'm de- I'm still not a religious man, um, but I started uh, in the last probably eighteen months, especially since going to Bougainville. There's this there's a, a real weird energy that you get going to this place that's like mostly jungle that I. I I can't explain it until, you know, you've got to kind of go through it. But ever, ever since I first flew in there in 2016, it tingles all over my body. Um, and if you talk to, to foreigners that go there, they, they'll, they'll tell you the same sort of thing. It's a, it's a real odd sort of feeling. And I started engaging in, uh, about a year ago, started engaging in prayer. Everyone, everyone prays. And I always kind of, you know, bowed the head and just waited for it to be finished, you know, as a sign of respect. And instead I decided, I'm going to go through this process with them because when you're saying grace, you're talking about being grateful. You know, you're saying I'm grateful for this food and yeah, we should. That's what, you know, I've, I've said this before, but that's what like all these wellness places are doing. They've replaced God with, with like the universe, but it's all the same shit. You know, we, we actually feel better when we, when we sit and we'd be grateful for things when we, um, Talk about how awesome it is to have the food that's in front of us, and and that you know this this animal was reared and, and died for us, and um, and how grateful we are to be alive and for our family and for our friends. Uh, so so I've looked for I guess some of the universal truths that kind of give us purpose and give us meaning and help us get through what for everyone is a, is a really hard life most of the time. Doesn't matter if you're there or here. It's it's this relative kind of. Uh, it's, it's all relative, but um, you see the same struggles in different ways wherever you go, and there, there seems to be kind of some universal ways to to um, combat that, including, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we have that mutual friend in uh, Aaron Tate, and, and it's the discussion that I had with him a number of times that he was getting out. And, building economic projects in you know, Bangladesh and I think he did some stuff in PNG and, and, and around the world. And he kind of always felt like Australians were spoiled for opportunity. There's no real need to help out Australians because there's so much opportunity here. It's, you know, we need to go to these places where there isn't as much opportunity and help those people. But yeah, I think the struggle is just as real. And yeah, I love the way that that's turned into a more of an internal challenge. Yeah. Your ability to affect change being, uh, you know, proportional to your own journey, and I think it's a it's a valuable journey that you're going on now with, you know, taking on some of your own struggles. And I want to touch on you know, some of the things you've been doing recently to challenge yourself and harden yourself, as you like to say, in kind of the David Goggins kind of language. But yeah. um, can you touch a little bit on the nutrition over there and uh, yeah. veganism in, in in Papua New Guinea? And, Bougainville, like what's what's the take on nutrition? What do they love? Did you how, say, how they survive? Did I hear you say veganism in Bougainville? <laughs> no, nah, that's not real. That, that's that's not a thing. There, there wouldn't be one vegan in Bougainville. Um, no chance in the world. But um, nutrition, ah oh man, it's this it's this really sad story of 
most of the Pacific, it seems, where you've got uh, what was a, a pretty good primal diet, um, especially in a place like Bougainville where you got most people got access to the ocean or quite, you know, a lot of people do. So you can get protein, you know, in your diet fairly regularly. You know, there's, there's pigs. Uh, I don't know if pigs were introduced. They probably were. But, but, you know, if we go back a little bit further, there's the cuscus, which are like sort of like possums um, that they eat. Um, but, you know, a lot of seafood and heaps of root vegetables, uh, greens. There's, there's enough to really sustain plenty of fruit, sustain people. Um, and what's happened is there's no regulation on food. Now what you see is that every shop, if you go into it, it's all got Coke, Sprite, all the shit, Fanta, uh, it's in higher, the, the sugar content's higher because they, they don't have the regulations. So they can, they can 46, you know, 50 grams of sugar into these things, into a small can. They've got all just wheat flour and margarine. Uh, you know, so, so think about all the, the worst shit you can get, the most terrible ingredients, and then they just throw them into tasty things, uh, make them affordable for people. Yeah. And that's the diet. So, there's still people still eating a somewhat traditional diet where they get it from their, um, you know, whatever they grow from their gardens and everyone's got a garden. Uh, but if they have a little bit of surplus and they go to the market, then they'll use that to sometimes to buy rice, which is, you know, that's okay, but most of the time to buy shit. So the diet has turned from uh, really great I mean, if you, you can see, you, you walk down the street, you, you can see some people who are clearly like farmers and they're just eating most of that. They're just ripped. They're walking down the street just like jacked ass, just naturally jacked. Um, and then you get to the, more of the urban communities and all around PNG in the urban communities and you can see fat, fat people. You go into the hospitals and you've got, you know, young 30s getting limbs chopped off, diabetes, people drinking five, six cans a day. Um, it is, it, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. More, more cash coming into the economy is, is potentially accelerating that journey. And, and here's, here's the thing with development that, that, you know, like if you, you, do, you do development, economic development, right? You know, we, we pay taxes to, to, to do, um, you know, for, for, for different entities to go out and do these development activities. But if you don't, like, set mindset in people and you just help them create more income, well, you know, they might not spend that on what's best for them, you know? Like, we don't here. <laughs> if we make more money here, we don't, we don't spend it on what's best for us. I mean, you can even look at, like, when we're young, you take us when we're young, um, as soon as we start getting cash, we're like, we're, we're buying booze. That's what we want to do. Yeah. Um, Fast food, buy a car. Exactly. It's all food. My, my niece has just got her first job. I said, oh, what have you been saving your money for? She said, ha-ha, it's all food. Um, that, that's what you do until you, until you damage yourself enough to realise you don't want to do that anymore. So, I mean, for us... You know that's why mindset is so key. We we want to do our development initiatives like they they have mindset intertwined. But on a somewhat side note, 
was working in sort of the entrepreneurship space. And it's the same sort of argument I had there. I said, why are we, why are we encouraging um, entrepreneurship without talking about ethics? Like, what, all, all that the startup culture is, is, is business. <laughs> We're just trying to start new businesses. Well, if you're not going to, uh, if you're going to try and accelerate someone's growth, but they're going to be a shitty global citizen, then why are we doing that? Everyone's, everyone's stuck in this growth model, growth model. We need to get more money, more, you know, and they're not thinking, well, how are we going to center ourselves firstly uh, ethically? And it's the same thing in the, in the aid world, which is obviously one reason why I was attracted to, to you, Keegan, and, and Real Movement, because there's that, that, that's an essential part of it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm excited about the chat today. And I guess people are listening in and crew that, uh, you know, most people that are listening to what Real Movement is up to and what it's about, it's always kind of been this humanitarian kind of mission, like starting with ourselves, how do we become great humans? And then how can we transfer some of that to the people around us? And it's, it is a bit high and mighty, but it's like, well, what makes me feel really good? Like I've been borderline alcoholic. I've, I've done a lot of junk food. Um, I've trained obsessively. I've done like different sort of lifestyles. I've been a backpacker. And then like, what's the best way to live? Find that for yourself and then share the best of that with other people. And then, you know, where can that, that go? And I think that a lot of it doesn't actually depend that much on economics. It does depend more on like philosophy of living and, and mindset. And that was kind of the challenge that I had living in rural communities in, you know, Indigenous Australia and in Mexico. I could see that more cash coming into their economy was just going to take them, you know, faster to Mexico City to work or the US to work and then they're going to come back with big screen TVs and they're going to buy a taxi and, like, you can't, you can't, you know, um, begrudge them for wanting economic development because that's what we do as well. Like, what what's actually going to make life better? It's, it's not going to be that stuff. So how do you know, how we make real change? What, what can we really do to change the world? And, you know, you're actually still living in that world, you know, which I admire so much. I went back to footy and now it's kind of circling around. A big part of the reason why I left working in the NRL is because I wanted to be involved with the kind of work that you're doing, you know, and build, build a company, build a community, build an economic base, but a philosophical base as well to go and, you know, first inside but then also outside like share the best of what we know and try to create the best culture ultimately you can't be whole in yourself you can't be your best self without being surrounded by greatness i I don't think you know what i mean so it has to be a community a collective thing because think about someone trying to be amazing on their own you know who are their training partners where are they getting their food from what's their economic stability like just can't do it you need that accumulation of wisdom down the ages you know generation to generation and people sharing their best and that's what we're working to create with real movement what you guys are doing with equal playing field and generation found it excites me so much because i feel as though all the coaches and the people that we bring together and the people that listen to real movement you know material like they do want that out there of like one something to inspire them to take their own journey more seriously and then you know, where can, where can we actually make a difference in, in yeah. the world? Like, how can we create this better environment around us? What, what is that culture that you are creating now? Like, you're actually, you know, with this consciousness that you have of well, straight economic development isn't probably going to do that much good for anyone. You know, what are you actually doing over there? Yeah, so 
we started and we, we grew our name through doing child protection and violence against women's stuff, which is still a massive part of what we do. But in Bougainville, where there's even greater synergy with, with um, real movement, you know, Bougainville's post-conflict. So a lot of people kind of our age don't quite remember it. Um, but, you know, back in the, uh, started in the 80s, uh, there was a, effectively a civil war. You know, it was, it was the Papua New Guinea um, Defence Force against uh, the Bougainville Resistance Forces. And uh, over 10,000 people were killed. For, for a decade, the place shut down. And so you had this whole generation of, of young people that didn't go to school. Not only was the, did the conflict go for 10 years, but then you've got to think the rebuild, you know, schools aren't up and going. So it, they just missed. A lot of people just missed all of this personal development that comes from school, hanging out with your friends, normal life, normal family life. Um, Being in a war zone can't be a, you know, no, yeah. a yeah. flourishing environment is if you're worried about soldiers and your exactly. own parents, what they have to do. and Exactly. So it, the, the, whole, the whole fabric of, of, of what makes us become humans, awesome humans, um, was kind of torn away. So coupled with the fact that now we're getting the next generation after them, you know, they're all having kids. So, so there's, this, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of issues that have, that have come from that. And it's always been, they've been called the lost generation. And it just struck me, and, and obviously some other people within, within Bougainville that, you know, this, even the name, you know, it, it just like it, it labels this victim mindset on everyone under a certain age, like you're the lost generation. And actually, if you go out to communities, we, we consulted so widely around this thing. We went to communities so remote everywhere and everyone had the same story. It, it was very true. They were all walking like they were lost. Most of the, pretty much all the youths in the community walking around, drinking booze, nothing to do, unemployed. I mean, what else are they going to do? They just, they just make booze, smoke weed. It's exactly what I would be doing if I had no hope, no opportunity. So we, we came up with the idea of Generation Found. We said we're going to flip this, you know, change this victim mentality to, to a victor mentality. And, and with that simple idea, started to build uh, like a comprehensive, like a holistic development program. So it was, it was really about personal development and kind of trying to mirror the journey that I sort of spoke about in the beginning that, right, we need to look internally, fix ourselves, then use that, use us as the instrument to start to help our family and our community and our province and our country. Because Bougainville this week, uh, by the end of the week, they'll be voting for independence. And it looks like they're going to become the next new, newest country in the world. And if that happens, they need everyone to be working so that place doesn't collapse and go into chaos and, and, and war again or whatever it is. Everyone needs to be productive and, and, and like, doing the best they can for themselves and their, their, their families. So the culture we've tried to create is really to turn that shit on its head, to bring them in. The, how Generation Found works is, is we have a belt system as well and hopefully we're going to align it more with um, the real movement belts. Uh, they come in, men and women from the, 
the, their village. They form a team and we have, uh, we start with breathing. So we do like Wim Hof right now, but it can be any kind of mindfulness work or breath work. Then we do stretching, so mobility. Then we do like an education component. So it could be on, uh, starts with personal responsibility, like just looking after yourself, that idea. Um, health, nutrition, like looking at sugar, looking at alcohol, the effects that they have, how to communicate to people, teamwork, responsibility for others in your community, something new each week. Then they do something uh, like a physical, like strength and conditioning, mostly body weight exercises. Uh, Trav from uh, Train Recover Perform, did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, Travis, real movement, Travis. Uh, did all the sessions for our first phase. So we have a bunch of people running through them each week. And then when they're finished, they have a little book, they set goals. It might be like 10 push-ups a day. It might start really small, like clean the place where you sleep. You know, small goals. Um, start small, they get bigger. And then we finish with a team circle. The team circle is, is all about, um, it's a therapy circle. Basically, it's again, trying to create that community that you spoke about earlier. People need people especially if you've gone through a bunch of trauma and a bunch of shit, you need to find a space where you can uh, feel comfortable to share. And that's not, that's not the culture there. Even though family is close, talking about your issues is not, is not something that, that uh, people do very well, just like, just like in our society. Uh, and we really need to find ways to encourage people to do that. So that, that's what we do in a week. So we have seasons and then now the system going forward will be that people will be, you know, they'll have baseline testing and they'll be tested every month and that they'll be trying to reach um, these, these belts, you know, again, just like the, the um, real movement system. So by the end of three years, we want to run them through three years. We hope to have black belts that will then uh, continue their chapters in their, in their villages. But, you know, these guys will, will learn how to, um, create businesses, you know, actually bring some money in, but I ho hopefully have the mindset to use that money for good rather than garbage that, you know, sometimes people spend money on, as we just said. Uh, and we're already seeing awesome stuff. I, I, I didn't think we would get as far as we did in the first, like, 10-week block. We, we've done it in quite a few different communities. We've 600 young people already. We've had people start peanut farms. We've had people start cooperatives where they, they go out and they, all the single mothers, all the orphan, uh, all the widowed mothers, they help them with whatever stuff on their plot, you know, as part of their way to give back. Um, just clearing the sides of the roads in their community, clearing up the rubbish. Uh, we got people who walk five hours just to come to the session and five hours home and then deliver it to, to people in their community. They're, they're, they're so hungry for, to be told that they have hope an opportunity and that they can do it, that if you just give them a little bit and you mix it with like this physical stuff and, you know, it's like for all of us, like when you first started getting into like breath work or, or like starting to understand the, the, the power that you have in your mind, you, you get, it's infectious, you know, you want to you keep coming back and you want to be involved. So it's exactly what's happening with these, with these young people. And um, I say young people, but they're 18 to 35. Um, we, we really see it as the, we, we have big ideas for it. We really see it as the, as the thing or one of the really big things that can 
change the, the course of the country if, if it becomes a country. This very active, motivated uh, young people, the next leaders, the next generation, who would have otherwise been the ones walking around, drinking, smoking. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's like it's important to acknowledge like our own potential to be that person as well. Like I, we spoke about yesterday, that we both feel like we had phases where we were that that person, directionless, you know, just using substances to escape reality. And you know, it's I think the same things that are going on there are going on here and everywhere. And I feel like the solutions that you're putting together. Um, like universal solutions and so that's I guess part of my motivation for the the call today is like a call to action to anyone who's listening to this of like well there is a path here like there is a path here to make a difference in the world we are going to call on you to change yourself but you don't have to be perfect before you start you know I know I wasn't perfect when I started Real Movement and I'm still very far from it you know you're going through your personal journey and I don't want to share more and speak more about you know where you're at right now with how you're shaping yourself into the leader that you want to be to be able to influence these other leaders to to lead a country you know what I mean um but the the parallels that exist here when you decide you're going to be that leader for another community whether it's you know someone listening to this who's like I want to work with kids and I want to speak at school. You know, I'm, I'm speaking with Ryan Talbot. I've been speaking with him today. He's one of the you know, top speed coaches for youth athletes in Australia. And he has a lot of crossover with kind of ATG philosophy and mentality. And he's, he's having kids break national records and on all sorts of stuff. And he's talking to me about parenting and about like yeah. how we can be better parents. Yeah. And, you know, like that's something that's ever present for us as well. Once you've got kids, it's like, yeah. Then reflection of you and and that's you know a challenge and opportunity but across every sector of society like we lack leadership we lack philosophy i think the decision to become a leader at the level you're at wherever you're at right now if you decide i'm going to lead people towards better and then you have to you know close the gap on where's the gap between where i am at right now and where i need to be so do i need to start saving some money do I need to start uh, eating better? Do I need to start, you know, a movement practice? And I feel as though the decision to be a leader actually and, and embody the message that you would like to share is actually, it's key and it needs to come almost before the action. And yeah, it's it sounds us about like people like, well, I'll fix myself and then I'll start helping others. But it's like, no, you won't. You never help anyone with that mentality. Like you need to start helping others and then that will help you pull, pull your shit together because you won't want to be a hypocrite and you will want to be a strong leader. You will want to turn up and not be way behind your students or, you know, you want to be able to lead. What is it at the moment that you're embodying, Adam? Like what changes are you making with yourself? Like you reached out to Real Movement finally after a bunch of years of like, well, maybe I should connect up with this community on a personal level and things that you might want to do in Australia there's a lot of potential synergies between, you know, what you're creating. You're already working with, with Travis Roach there in Wollongong. What are you doing with your personal journey at the moment and, and how do you think that's going to impact, you know, the future of equal playing field? Yeah. Um, I mean, j- just to go back on what you said, I think, I think there's so much potential everywhere to do good. 
you know, especially here in Australia. I, I smoked weed for the first time when I was 12. I, I smoked meth for the first time when I was 15. Um, and had a pretty, pretty good go at it as well. Um, I, I, like so many things I could have been saved from uh, with, with a great mentor or the right kind of education or the right kind of inspiration. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I went through the process because it's made me who I am. But, uh, you know, I was lucky to come out of that, you know. I ended up in a hospital bed a couple of times. Um, uh, one it's of the important to acknowledge that a lot of people don't get through that phase. and Exactly. It doesn't have to be that way. I think sometimes people will be like, well, would you, would you have it any other way? And you can talk to for yourself, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. People don't have to go so low and, you know, we all got mates that have committed suicide and that sort of thing. And it's just like, that's, don't, don't, don't think, oh, well, I just have to let people go really low. Like that's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I said it to you earlier, that I, I'm looking up at the, at the mountain um, where I lost a friend. So, um, you know, we we've got enough we've got enough challenges. <laughs> we can we can help these young people. They're going to go through plenty of challenges with children and and partners and everything. So we don't have to. We're not protecting um, everyone from everything, but we we can do better. So um, the changes for me personally, as I said, I, I used to be a fatty. Um, my diet wasn't great. It was all kind of. I mean. I built myself around this kind of vegetarian sort of like saving the world type of uh, almost character for myself. Like I, I built myself up even in my own mind as like the type of dude that was going to always be involved in like, um, you know, going over and helping the people in Africa or whatever it was when I was, when I was young, you know. Um, I wanted to be like Bono with my bands. Uh, I kind of, I, I always kind of wanted to be the, the, the picture of something, but as I said, I didn't really truly embody it, I don't think. I was doing all the, what I really think are the easy things, like vegetarian, vegetarianism was kind of easy, really. Um, but I wasn't healthy and I wasn't really, uh, about six years ago, I, I realised I needed to drop that weight and I dropped the weight um, and left a relationship that was pretty toxic and started to build myself up from being really a junkie, what I would consider like really a junkie mentality. Um, but it's been a real long, long journey of like getting rid of the bullshit. Um, and the drinking maintained, like I was drinking pretty solidly until um, maybe two years ago, maybe even less. Uh, and then around about that time, I just realised that it was just, I don't know, the drink was making me unhappy. I don't know what it was, but something clicked. And it was probably like podcasts and seeing people and whatever it was. It just was the time. Sick of waking up feeling shit. And I just gave up booze for um, a shout-out to Chris Rain and um, Hello Sunday Morning, I think it's called. It's, it's just this organisation. I've known him for ages and I always didn't think I could do it, but it's just changing a relationship with alcohol. Take three months off. See how you feel. So I did that. I took four or five months off and it, and it changed my whole view of, of what life could be because I wanted to get up in the morning. I didn't feel like shit and, and, and it was just great. And then started getting back into my, my martial arts and my, my body kept breaking down. I couldn't even do 10 bodyweight squats. And I just started by myself trying to get a little bit stronger and 
And then it just started to explode, man. I, I started to feel better. I started to feel a little bit stronger and I started getting back in the gym. And all of a sudden my spine, working on my mobility, my spine and my back weren't messing with me as much. And then um, it's, just, it, it's, it's just got more and more extreme. Um, I started feeling good. And then somewhere along the way, I, I messaged you and said, I need to exactly what you spoke about. I'm talking to these people in, uh, in, in G about like becoming your best self. And I'm so far from my best self. I'm, I'm, I've never really done weights. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm far away. I'm all the way at the start in my mind. You know, maybe the junkie was the start, but for me, all of a sudden I had this realisation like, fuck, I'm so far from where I can be. And so I knew that to do that, I needed a community. I needed a coach. I've never had a coach. I've never had mentors really in my life for different aspects. And if I wanted to really be who they need me to be and who my kids need me to be and who, who I want to be, I needed to, to sort of supercharge shit. So um, Real Movement's been awesome. Um, at getting me physically just a lot better, a lot more mobile and opened me up a lot more. And then, um, yeah, recently just just like putting in two a days and feeling like just really energetic, gym, martial arts, and then decided a couple of weeks ago I just, I'll, I'll run a marathon. So um, did a bit of an impromptu marathon. 11Ks was the longest I'd ever gone um, before that. And I listened to David Goggins <laughs> that week and he talked about how he just basically did an impromptu massive run and I said, fuck it, I reckon I can do it. And if it gets painful, it'll be a way to harden the mind. And it got real hard. Uh, and, but I did the marathon and after it, so, so buzzed. I couldn't have felt more buzzed. And uh, in my head I was like, right, I, I can actually do way more than I thought. And for years, I could have been, I could, I could have been an athlete. That's that's what I started to feel. I was like, I could have actually done this, done something with my life, been more athletic, um, and that it's not too late, and that I can do some crazy shit and make my body feel, feel awesome. So, ran up a mountain, um, a big mountain, six days after that, and started to think I could do something pretty major. So. The plan that I, that I spoke to you yesterday is, is um, I plan to um, train to run Kokoda in a day um, because we really need to raise some money, you know. I keep, I keep grinding for equal playing field and we keep getting into these positions. I've told you about this where, like, I've got to lay off some people um, right now. Even personally, I haven't been paid in a couple of months. Uh, we, we constantly run the risk of, of, of this certain office closing in Bougainville and it's the place with, with most need. So I thought, what's something that's significantly painful and crazy enough that people might give me money to uh, attempt it? And I thought running Kokoda in a day is something that will make you piss blood. So, um, you know, maybe, that, maybe that'll get people interested, people in Australia behind it to give some money um, just so we can do some good stuff. And I think, you know, if I can be, um, yeah, if I can be the catalyst for that physically instead of just the one sitting behind the desk and, and being over there, if I, can, if I can sort of embody that struggle in a day, 
if I can show them the pain that, that you go through when you're trying to make something like this survive uh, and trying to keep people's families fed, then, you know, maybe, maybe we, can, we can get the kind of money in that we need to, to keep that office going and, and thriving, yeah. What's, what's the distance on the run? 96 Ks. And what's the elevation? Uh, over 6,000. Yeah, the highest peak is two and a um, two and a half thousand. Yeah. So it's it's pretty significant. Pretty, like it's a double marathon, more than a double marathon, but across what's considered some of the harshest terrain. Yeah. So, um, it made more difficult by the fact that I've never been a runner. Um, <laughs> Uh, never, my brother was a like champion long distance runner really. Um, and I hated long distance. I never ran more than the 800, I don't think. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be good. Like I, I mentioned to you, we've, we've been doing stuff with the real movement. That's really strengthened my knees. I've had, I've had knee injuries, real problems. I used to lie on my back and just watch TV with my, with my sort of knees up in the air. Um, and I would get swelling in my knees. That's how, that's how weak my legs were when I couldn't do squats or anything. I, I was just a, an absolute mess. So uh, I think we can, I think we can get me, I just need to finish it. So that's all. Yeah. It might, maybe it'll take me two days, but if I keep shuffling, that my, my plan is to do it without sleep. So the darkness in the jungle might, um, might be a struggle, but that's, yeah, I mean, you have a head torch. I think that's probably permissible. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, like the, it brings together the ATG stuff as well, which has been a huge part of real movement and obviously for yourself with, you know, the influence around your training and that sort of thing. And that feeling of like, well, injuries, you know, injuries don't have to be the thing that holds us back. You know, like in the past, I would have been really fearful for, you know, your knees and your Achilles and all that sort of stuff of like, can you, you know, is this even possible and how's it going to look? And when you listen to David Goggins and stuff, I, th I think that he would have been a lot better off had he had, you know, the training programs and stuff that we, we talk about now. And he probably still, you know, he talks a lot about stretching now and how that, the impact that had, you know, if range of strength or strength through length, you know, was introduced to him during those years, I'm, I'm sure he would have uh, avoided some of those challenges and maybe he thinks, well, I don't want to avoid the challenges, but he, it wouldn't have made, he still would have been, you know, had those epic journeys and probably just would have gone further and faster and had even more impact, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think, we don't want to be stupid for the sake of, you know, bringing challenges on ourselves. Like, we want to be capable and confident so that we can go further and faster. I think, you know, Ben, Ben Patrick, we had a call with him this morning. We do our coaches calls with him on a weekly basis. Absolutely you know, phenomenal information. And that probably gives me more confidence that, you know, working together, Ben, I, I feel as though you're a really good chance of holding yourself together and getting yourself to a point. And, you know, that's what we we're talking about before. Like, get, you're going to go up Mount Kira today to a mountain that obviously holds a lot of significance for you there in Wollongong. If you can keep building your strength base and you've got that burning desire and you've set that target for yourself, exactly what we were talking about, people need targets. You know, humans need targets. Yeah. I start to think about like, is it right to be imposing 
you know, equal playing field or real movement values on these people. You know, they've got their own traditional cultures and they've done things in their own way. Like, is this a good thing? But it's not a question of what in culture will... It's, it's not a question of will they live by their traditional cultures or not. It's will they live by the worst of Western culture and the worst of the indoctrination that will arrive you know, from Western you know, media, and TVs and, and all that stuff or, or will they have this way, you know what I mean? And I feel as though humans are humans. Humans need goals. Humans need to be excited about something. And you've said already it's already transferring into economic action. You know, like there needs to be an economic component to real movement. It's something that I've been chatting a lot about with um, guys like Richard Everson and Dylan Freed. They're talking about, you know, we need to be investing in, in, you know, precious metals and having our own financial security more well-established. Um, you know, if these people, we can help them have more economic security, which I know is part of the, the next phase, but it's like, yeah, first, you know, build yourself, commit to being a leader, yeah. um, you know, go through that, that physical challenge you know, for yourself and then you're going to instill those ethics and, and cultivate the ethics of who do you really want to be and what impact do you want to have from your economic activity and then that sets up a whole new a whole new future. You know, and if we don't implement that, then what's the alternative? And you can see the alternative. It's, you know, alcohol, booze, you know, hip-hop culture and whatever that kind of arrives of like, I don't know exactly what, what the worst of it is in PNG, but I've seen it in, you know, Mexico and Indigenous Australia and those sorts of places, like, there's no option to go backwards. It's like, what are we going to go forward with, you know, and, and what works best for us is probably going to be something like what's going to work best for other people because if you know yourself, then you know everyone else. Like, we have that much more in common. There's different shades and different, you know, things there. But, yeah, like, more and more I realise, like, what I need, everyone needs. And There's definitely universal through lines yeah and and i think the it's not about telling people exactly what they have to be like it's it's about giving them the tools to realize their their full potential the the, the other the other way that you're talking about it's already being realized in 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 most of uh png when you look at the levels of corruption in leadership like that is the other side it's the it's the fat cats that are corrupt as, that are using their land, that are using their people uh, to grow rich. Like that's, that's what people can become if they don't have the right, the right guidance, you know, and it's all about taking people um, and helping them develop a sense of responsibility for themselves and using that lens as a responsibility for others. And you have to make money. To, to exist in this world. But if you're, um, you know, if the primary, which is our, normally our primary in every, in every culture it's become, is, is money without setting that other base, then, you know, you become, you become what we see in every, in every society. So, yeah, look, I, I, I'm, uh, I, my big hope, with, and we've talked about it as well, is, is that, you know, I really, the whole push with this run um, is to generate some interest in in Australia because we're we're really well known in PNG. We have a great reputation, uh, but I spend most of my energy over there, and I haven't really made the connections with um, with Australia. And one of the real challenges for me uh, has been 
the, as the only white guy, not having a, a team um, when I'm here. So that's, that's what's been great about being involved with, with Real Movement so far is that even if it's just the occasional sort of WhatsApp thing that are coming up or however, however I'm engaging, it's, still, it's almost like a workplace in a way. Um, but I really like the combined knowledge, the community knowledge and ideas to come together to help us write the next phase of, of Generation Found. So we've done the first phase. Trav helped us um, develop the, uh, the, the sort of strength and conditioning component. But I want us to work out a uh, like a low resource uh, belt system, one that's like the real movement one, uh, and I want to connect together uh, all all these really great concepts that people are touching on through breath work, through uh, through strength and conditioning, uh, meditation, diet, all the great stuff that we're that we're working on collectively. I want to bring it together in the three year program because right now we're uh, we're up to the second phase. We've done the first phase and now we're up to the next one. So any way that coaches want to be involved all the way up into, we've talked about maybe the potential of coaches coming over. I can tell you that it's just an amazing experience. Um, any way I can connect the real movement community, the Australian community to our awesome people over there trying to do great work. I mean, that's, that's what I want to see happen. Yeah, I think there's so many levels that we can connect with this and I also am excited about putting this together as a program that can be run anywhere in the world, whether it's with Australian, you know, school kids or university students or whether it's, you know, in Indigenous communities in Australia or, you know, there's so much need for a better education, better philosophy, you know, new leadership. Um, and I think as we, as we accept, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be one of these leaders, then everything takes on more significance with your own education, with what you eat every day, with your own training every day. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like taking this and, and, and having it available to people in, you know, Mexico or Africa or wherever it is, you know, that's, I think that's what excites me about, you know, this conversation. And I, I do feel as though members of all the gyms around, uh, around Australia and around the world that we work with as well, like people who are turning up to these places day in, day out to get better, you know, they would also, you know, benefit from that leadership where they're going on a process where they're going to visit, you know, whether it's in Bougainville or all these other projects or, you know, shadow along to a school or share their journey. You know, there's so much power in, in the process that everyone's going through, whether you're a coach or whether you're a member of one of the facilities. I, what I, one idea that I was thinking about while we were going through this is what about if every gym had a beep test uh, run on a certain day and everybody made a donation that day after they'd run the beep test in support of, of yourself, you know, and it's collecting real movement data and it gets data around our belts and our baselines and, yeah. you know, that helps to set targets to give meaning to people in their lives so that they don't just go and drink that bottle of wine every night and, and dislike themselves for it, you know, giving bringing them into the journey of how much can you improve your beep test score by maybe donating a hundred dollars for every point you improve your beep test or, yeah. you know, bringing some, some meaning and some connection to it. I feel as though a lot of us in, in the Western world, you know, don't feel like our actions matter enough and don't feel like we have the possibility to make a difference where, you know, I know a hundred dollars would go a long way in, in Bougainville, you know, like it, it make a difference. Where in Australia, you know, you, you only get so many coffees for that. You know, we all waste that kind of money on a daily basis. 
that's that's really what I'm excited about. And that's you know why Real Movement was created. And that's when like when we started to have these conversations, like yeah, this 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 is where we need to go. Like I can see how this can all come together. I'm not necessarily the guy to organize all the logistics and all the details, but I can say there are a lot of people who are in this network already, and other people who are sort of sitting in the background waiting for their opportunity. This is the kind of opportunity that they want. This is the kind of person they want to be, you know, pushed and encouraged to become this sort of community leader and uh, to be someone who can make a difference. Maybe they don't want to run a commercial gym, but they'd love to be able to get into schools and, and share their story and, and share some skills and, you know, take kids on a journey or, or do this where they come from. You know, there's guys that work with footy that come from Tonga or come from Fiji or come from, like... What is this program? You know, how can we do it? What does it look like? And you know, you're already doing it. You're on the ground. You're seeing some amazing results and stories. You know, with what you're doing already. So, like, how can we get behind this more? How can we connect to it more? And I feel like what you're doing, and you know, what Dylan Free's doing in disability services, and what Lyndon's doing in um, opioid and, and drug addiction awareness, and and then Ben Patrick, you know, re- re- rebuilding bodies, but he's got a huge humanitarian side to what he's creating and he's creating a you know an army and tribe of, of uh, supporters of what he does as well like how can we bring this stuff together and really make an impact on the world you know like that's that's what excites me and it's it's a big challenge there are a lot of moving parts there are a lot of economic interests and egos and it's not going to be something that simple but like what else would we give our lives to you know can you think of a more worthy thing to to be focused on you know day in day out um, you know, I haven't found a more worthy idea, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what I would encourage anyone that's listening, like, what's what's the most important impact that you could have on the world? What do you what excites you the most? And then, you know, build that, build towards it, and as you solve it, you know, reevaluate and look again. Um, how are you going to serve? You know, how could you most most serve the world and I think you'll find a lot more meaning in your own journey and you'll overcome some of your own weakness and vices and I know that this year has been huge for me getting back into you know I've got nearly 100 students again with real movement versus having none pretty much in 2018 it makes me a better human like it challenges me I read more I train better I eat better I think better like we all need that you know and everybody needs that so how can you be a better student? I just wrote to Ben Patrick this morning. I need to be a better student of your work. This is what I want to do. How do we make a plan around this? Like I'm constantly fighting to be a better student yeah. and also to be a better leader, you know? So commit to being a leader, commit to being a better student and then put that direction in the, in the area that you feel is most worthy, whether it's working with young women or, you know, elderly people. We have some guys working in nursing homes now. Like that's yeah. super, super, super uh, worthy work. If, if it is getting out to the most remote parts of the world and, and offering, you know, possibilities, solutions, um, light, just something exciting, something motivating, like let's do this stuff. You know, let's, let's, let's make, make change, make an impact. I think that's what I want to finish with today. But I mean, yeah, Adam, what are you, what are you looking for? What are you, what are you, what are your final thoughts here? Uh, yeah, just just connection. So whoever's do, already doing great stuff uh, in communities, I know actually everyone who, who's a coach of any sort is already doing this. Like people involved in real movement, they all seem to be the same type of, have the same sort of ethos. And that's 
you know, even if it's just the joy that they get from people getting gains in the gym, it's it's about those people getting stronger in the well-being that creates, you know. So whoever is interested and wants to be connected with the equal playing field story, uh, whether it's to raise money at their gym or to find out a way they can be a facilitator or to grab the content that we already have and if they think they can do it in communities that are, that are needy, that's to start the conversation. Um, I, I, I'm happy to talk to anyone and everyone. And, you know, my, I've got a wealth of experience in, in international community development. So, you know, if you really want to do something in your community, I'm there for advice. It doesn't have to even be exactly equal playing field. If you want to, if you have an Indigenous community that you want to work with or the community down the road or whoever, and you, you want to try to attract a small grant and you want some, uh, some advice, for me, equal playing field is how I do my, my work and maybe we'll connect in that way. But if you just want some guidance and some support to do, to create that sort of community impact outside of your gym or, or in addition to your gym, just connect with me. I, I, I thrive off those conversations and helping people uh, make change, even if it's just I can sprinkle a little bit of magic on something or, you know, read over a, a, a grant application if I've got the time or, uh, yeah, I just, like you said, I feel better when I'm helping people. That's what, that's what helps me thrive. I, I become a worse person um, when I'm not doing this stuff. I'm not as happy. So it's kind of selfish. So let me help you do great things and hopefully you want to help me do great things and I just want to create that connection. You talked about getting better. That's one of our principles for Generation Found. It, there's this universality to, to like when we see people striving to become better, like we want to do it for ourselves. And so there's this awesome culture and, and connectivity that we can have with these virtually the most remote Places, you know, that, that even though we're not too far away, it takes forever to get there and it's the middle of fucking nowhere and they mostly don't have electricity. But you could turn up there uh, like I do in a couple of weeks. You could walk into a Generation Found community and they'll be doing burpees and fucking push-ups and they'll be doing all sorts of shit that you you understand. They'll be doing, you know, sitting doing Wim Hof and, and doing mobility and you'll be like, oh, shit, I, this is the stuff I do in real movement. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So connect with me um, and let's start the idea flow. Uh, me and Keegan are going to work on some things. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to build this out to be the world class, the, the, very, the very best in, in development interventions that use fitness and sport. I, I don't want it to just be another thing. I want this to be something that, is, that can be replicated, that can be changed to context, but that we can do in Australia, that we can do in in Indigenous Australia that we can do in Samoa, Tonga, PNG, Mexico, that someone, any new coach can pick it up and say, I want to do something for the young people in my, in my world. I want to create better leaders. I want to spread the real movement message and I want to spread the equal playing field message and fucking get after it. Yeah. If anyone wants to help me train for a fucking ultra marathon that's going to kill me, then, you know, just please, any help you can get. Ben? Anyone? Yep. Sorry. New, new, new stories, new experiences. You know, that's that's what's going to change the world for better. New stories, new experiences. We get to choose the stories, get to choose the experiences. Who would you be if you went to Bougainville for two weeks? Who would you be when you came back? You know, you can't not change through those experiences. Who would you be if you ran 
an ultra marathon, who would you be if you could juggle five balls or handstand for 90 seconds or, you know, all these experiences, they write a new story. They, they create a different person and, you know, choosing that person you want to be, becoming that person for your own sake, but also for, for the sake of, of others is what I find to be most, most exciting, most motivating. So it's, it's, we live in a time of massive, massive opportunity. The trick is to unwrap the gifts that are in front of us and to take the opportunities to, to put ourselves out there, to do some uncomfortable things, to get to another level. Um, massive appreciation for the work that you've already done, Adam, and the invitation you know, for our community and, and people around the world to, to connect with what you're doing. And so, yeah, it's, it's great. You're inspiring. I'm very excited for, for the journey with the run, but everything else that we're, we're talking about and working on here. So it just became another level of concrete today um, let's let's keep building you guys man thanks bro champion <laughs>